Welcome, fans, to the Frustrated Fans podcast. We're stealing your rose-colored glasses one franchise at a time. This is episode 14, Character Eye Analysis, The Demon Etrigan from the DC Animated Universe. I'm your host, Pete. I'm your other host, Jeremy. And we are we got to watch cartoons for this episode. Yay! Instead of playing a really crappy video game. Yay! Oh, so soothing. <laughs> <laughs> So, like our Casey Jones episode before this, we're just essentially taking a look at one char- one minor character over a franchise and see how they compare, especially since to the original, uh, their original comic base. Now, I'll be honest, I've never read any of Etrigan comics, so I'm going this basically totally what I've seen on the DCAU and the bastion of information that is known as the internet. Same here, except without the bastion of information that is the internet, because you're the researcher and I'm the ranter, and... Unless it's Sonic the Hedgehog, I don't know much. <laughs> All right, so let's go over this. For those of you who have not seen the character, Etrigan uh, was created in 1972 by the famous Jack Kirby for the Demon Number 1. Etrigan is the Demon of Hell, bounded to a no- by a man named Jason Blood. You know, with a name like who- that, I don't think he was really destined for a normal life. <laughs> Uh, he usually acts on the sides of goods despite very violent tendencies. The two of them were bonded together in Camelot by the wizard Merlin as a punishment, imprisoning Etrigan and making blood effectively immortal. Now, despite sharing the same body, they're usually at odds with each other, and blood retains a lot of guilt based on Etrigan's demonic actions. Etrigan's most distinctive trait is that he's actually only able to speak in rhyme. In the comics. Yeah, in the cartoon, he's normal. In the cartoon, well, in this particular typical, cartoon, he is. In the cartoon, he's your typical deadpan snarker. Yes, glorious snark. Yep. So, he's a leader of a specific group called the Demon Knights in the comics, and he's always a involved with the Justice League at some point. Now, Jason Blood, his other half, is a world's leading expert on occult and demonology. He started life as Jason Blood of Norwich and was a nobleman and knight of King Arthur's court in the sixth century. Cool. Yeah. So, they're so, very... So you're saying when he fights someone, he gets medieval on their ass. Pretty much. Cool. So he his own magical prowess is considerable, which is not only with because he's got, what, 14 centuries worth of time and knowledge on this, as well as his own hand-to-hand abilities, which likewise are developed over the centuries. He makes his home in Gotham City and is a regular ally of Batman, often consulting with the Dark Knight on occult matters. However, when things become too, ja- too much for Jason to handle on his own, he effectively calls on his demonic alter ego, Etrigan. And not unlike the Green Lantern, Green Lantern Oath, the various poems that have turned Jason to Etrigan over the years have different forms, but tend to share one common verse. You want to take this? Sure. Gone, gone, gone form of man. Rise the, the demon, demon Etrigan. Etrigan himself is very much a demon, prone to the more violent solutions instead of academic, but that doesn't mean he's not a master strategist. Notably, Etrigan of the comics, again, he always speaks in rhyme. Now, the powers include, he's got demonic physiology, which makes him much more stayed hardy than the average human, and even the regular, regular demon. He's got superhuman strength, superhuman durability, uh, certainly can... Li- Leap tall bounds, t- leap tall buildings in a single bound. No, well, maybe not. 
Yeah. And instead of out, instead of running faster than the locomotive, he probably would just slash through the locomotive with his claws. Right. He's got claws. He has fangs. Nice. He's effectively immortal, and he can project hellfire, usually through his mouth. Uh, as far as raw magical talent, Etrigan has a high command of it. Uh, certainly, much more magic available to him than it is to Jason. And using the said magic, he's enhanced his normal dis- demon physiology, giving him out of abilities. He's got some limited precognition and enhanced senses, and certainly heals faster than the average person. Yep. And also, as we find out he in uh, one of the animated episodes, he's the reason why Jason Blood is immortal. In fact, the comic characters, it's the same reason, essentially. Gotcha. Now, Batman the Animated Series... Uh, which came before all of the Justice, was the predecessor to the entire DCAU, occasionally brought in other heroes. Right? Yeah. In the original three seasons, um, I know they had an episode that was almost completely dedicated to showing Jonah Hex in the yep. Old West, which, that was actually a very enjoyable episode, too. Um, you know what? In the first three, I don't remember too many. I know they had... The Grey Ghost, who was an actual just actor who eventually took up, who decided to take up the mantle just for one little adventure, and was right. voiced by Adam West, which was awesome. Well, it that note, episode was also notable because it didn't just cameo Adam West; it actually let Adam West express some of his frustration uh, with the role of Batman and being typecast into that role. Yep. So kudos to them. Yep. And then once they changed animation styles for season four. They had him regular, almost regularly crossing over with Superman. Yes. And they even had like a brand new introduction for the show where it's called like the new adventures of Batman and Superman, even though outside of World's Finest, I think there were only three crossover episodes. Mm-hmm. And one of them, Superman and Batman weren't even in. It was Supergirl and Batgirl. Actually, that's one of my favorite episodes. So if only because Harley Quinn is a hoot. Oh, in that episode. Yeah, that was a good one. And they also... I also really loved the crossover one with Brainiac, where Superman pretends to be Batman. Oh, right, right. That was just awesome. Especially when he and Robin go and fight Bane, and Bane's knocking him around, and finally he's like, all right, I'm done. Just grabs Bane's hand, like, breaks his arm, and scares the crap out of all the villains. (laughs) And I love Robin's reaction to all this. Oh, he's working out. Yep. I did like it, though, when Superman did Bruce Wayne's voice, and he's like, how do you do that? He's like, oh, it's just a simple way of manipulating my vocal cords. I can imitate anyone, and he imitates Robin. Robin gets dead serious and goes, don't ever do that again. All right, but we're getting off track. Yep. So in the fourth season of Batman, uh, they definitely were starting to expand it, expand it into other heroes, and we get our first appearance of Edrigan slash Station Blood. The episode, the episode is season four, episode 18, The Demon Within. Bruce Wayne and Tim Drake are attending an au- a charity auction, and Wayne sees an old friend, Jason Blood. Uh, Robin also meets in the hall this, essentially, uh, this, this regular kid with a cat, well, who does, definitely does not come off as normal, Especially besides the fact his hair are shaped into horns. Yeah, I was going to say, because he has like the demon horns out of his hair. Yep, and so then they're all there for an auction, and all of a sudden a branding iron which they say was owned by Morgan Le Fay and they say we'll meet her later yeah and it's supposedly magic and everyone laughs and then both the kid named Clarion and Jason Blood start bidding on it 
Unfortunately, Clarion seems to have more money until Bruce goes, one million dollars. And unlike in the movies, he does not pull out a bat credit card. Thank you for bringing that one up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're evil, I know. Um, so Bruce buys it for Jason, and Jason's certainly grateful. He's like, oh, I'll find a way to pay you back. Bruce is just like, call it a professional courtesy. But there's this moment of, like, Bruce is like, really? <laughs> However, Clarion isn't going to be denied quite so easily, so he sends his cat and transforms into a Catwoman. Kinky. Yeah. Furries like that one. And she proceeds to kick everyone's butt in the room until Jason becomes Etrigan. And then lays the smackdown on her. But Jason ends up getting away with the with the brand because the plot demands it. Yep. It'd be a really short episode if she hadn't. Oh, no kidding. And so Clarion uses it to take control of Etrigan and actually separates the demon from Jason Blood. So Batman goes, all right, I'll go get it back. Robin, you stay with Jason. So, not Jason Todd. Fortunately. And unlike Jason Todd, he actually survives till the end of this. And we find out that Jason Blood can't remain young without Etrigan as a part of him, so he starts slowly getting older and older. Meanwhile, well, he's only like 1,400 years old or something. Yeah, and meanwhile, Batman gets to fight Etrigan and Clarion, and Jason randomly provides him with some magical backup, including letting him split apart into about like five Batmen who explode into bats whenever they're destroyed. I kind of liked that part, too, as you see like all these Batmen just kind of running around Etrigan in a circle, and he's like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, but when we continue talking back after our first break. Sounds good. By base treachery, Camelot will fall this day. You could never understand, Marin. You who are not a man, and have never known the sweetness of a woman's kiss. A viper's kiss, Jason Blood. The kiss of a demon in human form. All my great dreams are undone in the name of thy tainted love. I've paid for my crime with my life. Is that not enough? Nay, such swift mercy is not for the likes of thee. Thou art cursed, Jason Blood, until the day this monstrous deed is atoned. To mark thy eternal shame, I hereby bind thy soul to a creature of the pit. Look thee now, and see the face spawned of thy lust. The face of thy prediction, the face of thy inner demon. And we're back. So, so go ahead. Okay, so eventually Etrigan makes his way to Jason Blood's apartment, but Batman manages to get the brand away, which is the brand, which is what Clarion's using to control Etrigan. Yes. Right, and he holds it above Clarion's head. Well, he holds it above very... his own head, and Clarion keeps jumping up and trying to get it. So that <laughs> Batman keep, plays keep away. That was a very yeah, he... enjoyable moment, and then Batman and De- Batman's deadpan like the entire time, and then looks up, says like the magical, uh, like the words to actually reverse the the original spell, and Jason Blood gets Etrigan back again, and then kicks everyone's butt. Yep. And then Clarion is sent to his room. Yeah, that's what they say, but what we see is that he's inside Jason's crystal ball or something. Yep. It's not really well explained. Yeah. But they only had a half-hour episode here. Yeah. All right. Uh, so what okay. what did you think about this episode? 
Um, well, it's my first time exposed to this episode because I missed a lot of that fourth season Batman. Oh, okay. Um, admittedly, when it was first on. And as Batman projects go, this really comes out of nowhere. It's not uncommon to see Batman animated series writers to shoehorn other heroes, much less we saw it in Superman the animated series, too. Oh, yeah. With appearances like Green Lantern, Flash. Heck, we get Kyle Rayner. There's an Aquaman episode. So Yeah, we get Kyle Rayner's origin as Green Lantern in that one. Which was more like Hal Jordan, partially Hal Jordan, partial Rainer. But yeah, I think they were trying. Maybe they were planning to do like a spin-off show at that point, and just ne- nothing ever happened. Well, who knows? Yeah. Oh, we got anyway, Aquaman and Superman also. Right. Like I had just said that. Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. The fact that it comes out of nowhere is a little jarring, certainly, but it's forgivable. Uh, Batman. There's certainly been mystic, uh, mystical episodes in the. Previously, I think Zatanna had her own cameo episode. Yeah, she was in one of the first few seasons, and also, and they had used Rachel Ghoul a few times, also. Right. So it's not the same. Mysticism isn't out of place, but this is almost super levels of mysticism. Yeah. Which, for a show that mostly stayed grounded for most of it, and it's a fun episode to get me wrong, but it's kind of it's it's okay. As introductions to new heroes go, this episode definitely had to cut a lot out because the Justice League pair, which we're about to review, did a lot more to establish Etrigan in the be- in its episode. But it also had a full hour to do it. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm assuming for the people who actually knew who this character was before seeing the episode, this was probably more interesting for them. But mm-hmm. I actually saw it back when it first aired, and I had. No idea what the heck was going on. I didn't know who the char- who Jason Blood was. I didn't know who Etrigan was. Granted, I hadn't seen every single episode of the show, so maybe at the time I had thought, oh, maybe I missed something. But it did feel at odds with the relative tone of the show, you know, where it's kind of more grounded in reality. And it was kind. Of, it kind of reminds me of the episode of Superman, another hero who showed up, Doctor Fate, and how yeah. that one showed where they used him too, where it kind of treated it like. Oh, Fate's been there the whole time. He and Superman knew each other, even though that was the only episode he was ever in. Right. And same thing with Jason Blood. This is the only episode he's in, and they treat it like he and Bruce are old friends with no real explanation. Uh, like you said, Zatanna was in, her, it, was in it at one point. With her, they actually went back. I think it was actually a two-parter, because they went back and showed like the origin of Zatanna and how she knows Bruce Wayne and how Bruce like got to know his escape, like all the escape tricks and stuff. Right. But, yeah, overall, it's an enjoyable episode. The magical tricks Batman gets are pretty fun. And mm-hmm. it is, the moment where Batman just holds the brand above his head so Clarion can't get it is very funny. Uh, I, yeah. I would recommend I would recommend it, though a lot like the other episodes of Season 4, it's not one of the high points of the show. No. I, I don't think it's one Now, there's some that. interesting trivia about this hmm. um, episode. Two major voice actors show up. Uh... Well, not all right, voice actors, but certainly surprising roles. First of all, that is Billy Zane voicing both Etrigan and Jason Blood. And those of you might know him who played the Phantom in the Terribles 90 movie and the bad guy in the even more terrible James Cameron Titanic movie. And for you video game fans, he played the main villain of the original Kingdom Hearts. 
whose name I can't remember off the top of my head. Now, Clarion, Clarion on the other hand, he played uh, was played by Stephen Wolf Smith, who, again, kind of shows up in Titanic, has an uncredited role, but... Um, He's got. He was kind of just a minor kind of B-list role. He his IMDb is actually kind of empty. Uh, What's notable about him is this, this this role was actually his swan song. This was his la- literally the last project before he died in two thousand. Okay. Um. Sorry. Uh. What's it? Uh, Billy Zane played Ansem in the original oh. parts. Okay. And and if for the people who played that, he was the one that was controlling Riku's body, and eventually when he revealed himself, he looked like a Sephiroth clone. Which, I'm looking at the Kingdom Hearts wiki right now, and he really... God, it's like a direct copy of Sephiroth's design. I completely forgot what he looked like. But yeah, that's who Billy Zane played in that game. Mm -hmm. So that's where I knew him from. So, moving on, we have the next... Now, there was a cameo in the episode Chemistry... Or Jason Blood, anyway. Oh, and it's the Justice League episode. Limited. No, 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 this is still in Batman. Hmm? Oh, I'm um, thinking of the Batman. Oh, I'm thinking of the animated series. Never mind. Uh, Batman the Animated Animated Series. Uh, this is season four, episode twenty-two. Oh. But it's new Batman Adventures. Whatever. Yeah. Effectively, this is the one where Poison Ivy makes plant people and has them marry rich people. Point is, Jason Blood's seen as a cameo at the wedding. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. I was thinking of um, the Justice League Unlimited episode, The Balance, where uh, Wonder Woman and Hawk Girl go to hell. Literally. Ah. Is, um, Wonder Woman's walking through the Watchtower, and she sees like all the magic users are in pain, and you see Jason Blood. One half of them is Jason Blood, and the other half is Etrigan, and they're like mutating back and forth. Right. It's a cameo, but we'll yeah. get to that in a minute. All right. So the next major appearance of Edrigan comes from the and again Justice League from the episode Night of Shadows. Again, now Justice League, the first two seasons were, with the exception of Comfort and Joy, these were all hour-long episodes, yeah. two-parters. Yeah. Well, and um, the series premiere, season one finale, and season two finales were all three-parters. So again, the only exception is Comfort and Joy. But uh, so we have a two-part episode, uh, Night of Shadows, and is the twentieth and twenty-first episodes of Justice League. It aired September twentieth and twenty-seventh on two thousand in two thousand and two, and we it opens with a prologue of Camelot in medieval England is under siege by an army of demons commanded by the sorceress Morgan Le Fay, yep. and this is the only time we ever see her face. And unlike in the Batman animated series episode, we actually get to see Jason Blood slash Etrigan's origin, like basically the origin of how they came to be together. Obviously, we don't see right. Jason Blood's life. It's short, but it's a co- like a good two three minutes. Yeah, and it's a good. And it is with Justice League, they would do like a teaser before the beginning, before like the opening animation for every episode. And well, akin to Star Trek, really. Huh. Like Star Trek Next Generation. Yeah, exactly. They would have like that, like kind of a three minute sort of thing before. So this one, they decided to show it to show us the history of the character. So thank you, and you know, better late than never. So it shows Knight Jason Blood uh, secretly opens the gate to Camelot, letting Morgan's forces in and basically betraying all of his 
friends and family. And Morgan thanks him by giving him a poison kiss and killing him. Isn't that yep. special? And she outright says, well, the only person I'm going to love is my son. Creepy. We'll get to him. Yep. So, as Jason dies, he's, he suddenly sees Merlin, who Merlin's like, hey, dude, you, you really messed up here, and I, I'm kind of mad about this, so... He's not too happy what? about that. I'm going to bind you to a demon, because it sounds like fun. <laughs> it's like, I've never done this before. This should be cool. Zap. He zaps him, binds him to Etrigan, and Kurt basically says, you don't get to die until you defeat Lefay and atone for your crime. So then, fast forward to the present. Merlin's a kind of a dick that way. Yeah, he is. But, you know, I mean, he even said, like, you know, you all my plans, you've ruined them all, and Arthur's now going to die, Camelot's going to die, you know, WTF, mate. And so, fast forward to present day, where Jason Blood and Batman team up to fight Morgan Le Fay. Uh, unfortunately, they get attacked by pieces of armor and weapons, and so Blood, after... Oh, slow down. Huh? We got, let's, there's a little bit more to introduce this episode, but we'll do it after our second break. Sounds good. I still don't trust that Martian. He's damaged goods. I trust young with my life. I'll send flowers. Rewinding. Okay. So, so when we first start, after the cold opener, we essentially, the episode opens to uh, this random elderly man being wheeled out of a rare bookshop. While Batman investigates, Jason approaches him, and they two have met before. So, Jason explains that Morgan Le Fay is looking for the Philosopher's Stone. And no, there isn't a kid in, an, in, a, in a live suit of armor looking forward either. <laughs> Though there is a short blonde kid in the episode. There, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, there is. But this Philosopher's Stone will give, apparently was on the hilt of... Excalibur, and it will give her the ultimate power that she needs to conquer the world. <laughs> of course. And give her kingdom to her young son, Mordred. More on him in a minute. Um, so Batman and Jason follow LeFay's trail to a castle in Britain, because, yeah, why not? And they get there by... Flashbomb! So they get there, unfortunately, after Morgan, Morgan Le Fay and her son, who we get to meet her son, who decides to have fun by slicing up pieces of armor and taunting, taunting old fat security guards, because he's a little brat. Wonderful. Yeah, okay, I need to mention this, because uh, Mordred is a character from Arthurian lore, but he's not exactly Morgan Le Fay's son. It's complicated. But suffice to say, uh, in common Arthurian lore, uh, let me put it this way, Arthur didn't, wasn't exactly true to his wife. It happens. And he kind of is best known today as Arthur's illegitimate son by his half-sister. Squeaky. Yep, and the Game of Thrones fans are cheering right about now. Yeah. But here he's... God, I hope he's not the son of Arthur. Um, we're never really sure who his father is. Yeah. Suffice to say, he's just a spoiled brat. Yeah, and with Morgan's magic, he's eternally a young boy. And, Keep this in mind. And so they go try to find the Philosopher's Stone in a grave. And 
finding nothing, go, oh, I guess it wouldn't be in this obvious spot. Oh, why is that suit of armor moving? And Morgan Le Fay has charmed every weapon in the room to try and kill Batman and Jason. Yay! I thought you said there were no walking pieces of armor in this one. Oh, my mistake. Yep. So they get beat up a little bit. Batman gets to kick a little bit of butt, and then Jason goes, All right, screw it! Gone, gone, gone the former man! Etrigan, go kick their ass! So Etrigan shows up and sets all... And Pretty much does that. Yeah, he just breathes fire on them and almost sets Batman on fire. That's nice of him. Yep. So they call in Flash, Wonder Woman, and Martian Manhunter, because I guess Green Lantern, Hawkgirl, and Superman were on vacation. Yeah, that's one thing they really never will explain. I mean, you could say... Uh, well, it was when the entire team wasn't available. Yeah. Um, in the show. You'd think also they would have included Hawkgirl since she has the the mace that, like, annihilates all magic, but... Careful, I, you're thinking logically. And, well, well, I was about to say, also, if she was in this episode, it probably would have been over in about five seconds, because she would just hit Morgan Le Fay with it, and that'd be the end of that. So they split into two, two teams to find likely out locations of the Philosopher's Stone, and yep. Morgan's got the same thought... So? Which, before they do this, Jean Jones, the Martian Manhunter, tries to use his, de- his telepathy to find Morgan Le Fay, but she goes, Denied! Throws up an illusion where he believes he's on Mars and his family is restored. And he believes it. Because in this episode, Jean Jones is an idiot. Yeah. Yep. Etrigan. But if you've, if you've lost your entire culture, if you're the last survivor of an alien race, and suddenly you're present, presented a dream, no matter how fantastical that Everyone you ever cared about is now back alive. Yeah, you'd want to believe that. This is true. I also believe this isn't. This is why Superman's not in this episode because if she would have thrown the temptation of that at him, he probably would have shrugged it off. Is uh, I could see I mean, him. That's his ideal dream, but he would never sacrifice one world for another. I don't. That goes against everything yeah. that Superman is. Well, John's definitely a different character. Yeah, so that's why I said I don't. Th- I think that's why Superman's not in this one because that temptation just would not work on him. And then Etrigan breaks through the illusion and pulls John screaming and kicking back to reality. Yep. And he basically warns Batman like he's been now your friend's tainted because of Lefay. You need to be careful around him. Yep. And we get a great line later on where he says to Batman, "He's damaged goods. I trust John with my life." I'll send flowers. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good line. <laughs> yeah. I just love it. It's the battle of the deadpan snarkers. So, they, again, they split into two teams to find two likely locations of the Philosopher's Stone. Yep. Because two archaeologists, a team of archaeologists essentially excavated what, left, what was left of Camelot ages and ages ago. And there are two remaining that are still alive. So, Flash. I yep. think they probably have them. Have their Philosopher's Stone. Yep, so Flash and Wonder Woman go to the Playboy Mansion. Wait. Wait, what? Yeah. Oh, wow. That basically is the Playboy Mansion, isn't it? Yeah, it, it's pretty It's pretty obvious. They call him Harv Hickman, but it's supposed to be Hugh Hefner. Yeah. And, and we even uh, see, like, the little grotto and everything. <laughs> yeah, and actually my first inclination when I saw this was like, yeah, it's Hugh Hefner, obviously, but I almost swore they were basing this guy on, like, Stan Lee. He does, like, kind, visually. He does kind of look like Stan Lee. Uh, I'll give him that. Though, granted, if you put Stan Lee and Hugh Hefner next to each other, if you take away the mustache, they look very similar. 
I mean, hell, Iron Man made a joke about this. Yeah, the, even movie. Yeah, but he sees Stanley and he goes, "Hey, half and Stanley," and he's like, "Hey." Yeah, so it's got a maybe it's like an in joke among comic uh, comic guys. Could very well be. Yep. So, um, Batman and John stage out the first location, and LaFay shows up, but again, she tries to trick LaFay with. Uh, tries to trick John with magic, and it works, and lets her get away. You know, even with Etrigan trying to beat on her. Yep. And then Etrigan punches John and is like, "You idiot! Stop it! You let, oh, you let her get away." Yep. So we go back to Hugh Hefner. I mean, Harv Hickman's place, where Wonder Woman finds the Philosopher's Stone attached to Hickman's bed. And there's a really great line here. Yep. Uh, she's like, wait a minute, you have a stone that essentially gives you ultimate power, and you use it to get riches, uh, things, and women. It's like, yeah. And he goes, is there anything else? And it, I have a feeling she was about to punch him, and then Morgan Le Fay shows up. Although there's certain in, there's a certain point that I was realizing watching this episode again is that Wonder Woman in this continuity, she's still a very much newcomer to the world of man. But Lord, she knows how to use her feminine wiles pretty quickly. Yeah, we get one of the many upon many getting crap under the radar lines in this show where she goes, I'd love to see your stone, Mr. Hickman, in like the most seductive voice you can think of. Oh, and she's definitely leaning forward, too. Yeah. <laughs> they really got a lot of crap under the radar in this show. Yeah, they definitely did. God. And this episode wasn't even like the best of it, either. No. <laughs> they really started going nuts with season two. Um, but we'll we'll so, definitely cover... You know, we should dedicate a show to that, uh, dedicate a podcast to, like, all the crazy stuff they got away with on this show. That that could fill the two hours, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, so LeFay does show up, and Wonder Woman, and Flash, and eventually Etrigan and Batman show up, and they do beat her. And everything seems like it's a happy ending, but as they all transition back to the watchtower and put the stone in the vault... Yep. Well, but, uh, they put it away, and they're fine. They're like, oh, LeFay will never, ever... Oh, John Jones just stole it. Oh, that was quick. Yeah, yeah. and that's going to even warn them of this possibility. Yep. Multiple times, too. There's one thing I never got, and they, it's not explained. It's just not fast enough. Mm-hmm. In the end of the episode, John disables the javelin so they can't. The rest of the team can't get back down to Earth and to stop him. No, he takes the javelin. They oh, only right. have one at this time. Right, he takes the javelin, so they have no way to get off a space station. Mm-hmm. Yet they somehow magically teleport into the villain's throne room. I think they used the transporter on the station. Like there was no transporter oh, in this season. That's- season. At least that's how it looked like to me. That's what they had used to get down there. Because Batman said, like, from, can you find his position? From what I gathered, it was some sort of magical ma- magic spell. Oh, yeah, and then, maybe Etrigan transported them down there then. Yeah. Okay, that works too. It is a bit of... Uh, they do point it out, and they do it off screen. It would have been nice if they would have shown it on screen. Yeah. Doing it. Although Flash has a lovely line when they teleport in. Which was that? Uh, something like... Oh, yeah, men's coats, ladies' dresses, di- oh, yeah, it's like fifth floor, it's like, dang, fifth floor, men's coats, ladies' dresses, evil sorceresses. <laughs> I always love that, I love that gag. 
That, yeah. That's like one of the most used gags I've seen in like cartoons and movies and stuff. But uh, I always still think, awesome. Yeah, it's it's a classic. So the final play battle takes place with John fighting on the say, on the side of Lafay. Yep. And in particular, John Jones faces off against Etrigan. Yep. And meanwhile, Batman fights a rabid chair. Yep. That happens. Uh, Wonder Woman and Flash have to fight various magical things and. Long story short, they eventually all get all three of them get taken out by the Fae. Yeah, because she's a really strong sorceress, and Mordred's a little brat, and he knows some magic. Yeah, and basically, John Jones beats the crap out of Etrigan because he's desperate at this point for what he his getting a chance getting his family back because you know Morgan totally planet, promised him his entire planet that, back. Yeah, totally promised him that she'll do. She'll totally. She'll totally do it. Yep, and her fingers are definitely not crossed. Oh, of course not. John in, ends up being by Etrigan by using telepathy on him to, and but he sees his entire life, including the fact that Morgan betrayed him. Did the exact same thing to him. Yeah, and decides to shatter the stone instead of giving it to Morgan. You know, for an ultimate like magic artifact, it breaks really easily. Yeah. I kind of had a little bit of a problem with that. I'm like, really? He can just go and break it? Eh. Yeah. I mean, again, if they would have had Hawkgirl in this, she could have just shattered it with her mace. And that would have made a lot more sense. Yeah. Okay. But when we finish this episode after episode analysis after a quick break. Sounds good. (gasps) The Justice Babies. <laughs> what are you laughing at, precious? So John redeems himself. Yay. Yay. And Morgan retreats, saying that, you know, maybe she lost this battle, but she hasn't lost the war. Yay. But uh, John realizes that he basically screwed up big time and decides to quit the team. But they convince him that you're not... You're not a total douche, and he sticks around. He really, he does this a lot, doesn't he? Like he, uh, he kind of leaves them like a few times. This becomes well, like a, almost like a running get. Because he does it here. There's an episode in season two where he runs off and they can't find him. The one well, with that's more that's for different reasons. Yeah, but and then there's unlimited where he's like, yeah, I don't feel I don't feel like helping humans anymore. All right, see you guys. I'm gonna go try and get my groove back. And he does, because he gets a wife. But, I don't know, just, this was, like, the first of many times where he's like, I don't feel like doing this anymore. Well, what my problem is, is I can totally believe that he's that desperate to have everything he wants ever back, that he's willing to work with a villain. Mm-hmm. It's his speech at the end that gets to me. He's like, I was so focused on getting my old family back, I forgot about my new one. I'm like... Dude, I can appreciate you like living on Earth now that you find some purpose in helping pe- protecting people. Well, I think he was. I, t- I think he was I just can't. I think he was referring to the Justice League as his family, right. but I just can't see him really thinking. Oh, these people are my family now. I'm like colleagues, yes, friends, I'll buy it. Yeah, but especially, you're talking about your wife and kids. Well, also, it's especially this early. I, I think I would have bought this one a little bit more if they had established his desperation to get his world and family back more in the show by this point. Because this is kind of like the first time since the 
first step, you know, since the pilot where they actually reference Mars. I can see, I could see later on in the show, once, you know, after all the character development and closeness that they all share, I could, by the end of season two, I can see him looking at them as, at the league as his family. By yeah. then I can eat, especially after like comfort and joy where Superman takes him in, you know, he stays with him for the holidays and everything. That After that point, I can definitely see him looking at the league as his family, but this is like just a few episodes into the show and well, great course in the first season. Yeah, but even then, yeah, it it is a little. I think it would have been better if it had been maybe in season two, if, like after things had been established a little bit more. And the, the turn would have been definitely much more kick in the guts. Yeah, at this point, his character really didn't have a whole lot of development. He was just sort of the super strong, shape shifting telepathy guy. And there's very few of us out there when we are present that haven't lost something that's dear to us. And we're present and even when we're even presented with an even insane chance to go back to a happier time, we would at least not consider this chance, right? Yeah. Yeah. So John's not only presented to get to see his wife and kids again, but his chance to get his whole planet. Yeah. I mean it's understandable. Yeah. And then I doubt Morgan would have actually truly help held her end of the bargain, but it's it's possible. It is at the very end of it, after he breaks it, after he breaks the stone, the way she says it to him, like, you could have had everything you wanted. And just the, the way she says it, and then also in the next episode we cover, she does keep her promise to the League. Yeah. Like she does, when she, she makes did. a deal, she keeps it. She makes a deal, she keeps it. So, And also, it makes sense, too, that she would have kept this, because with Jason Blood, she didn't give a crap about him. But with Martian Manhunter, she... It, if she had infinite magic, it really wouldn't have taken a whole much. She could have flicked her wrist, restored Mars, Mars. Jean would have left Earth, and she never would have had to deal with him ever again. Right. It basically would have been a way to get rid of him, and she would never have to fight him. So, it, granted, I mean, it's up to our interpretation at this point, because we'll never know, but I, I have a feeling she might have actually kept her promise just for those reasons. Right. I think Morgan, is definitely introducing Morgan Le Fay like this was... I mean, she got a mention in the previous, the Damon Within. Yeah. But here she's actually just interesting enough to want to see her again in later episodes. So I think she was really used well. Yeah, and her voice actor's really good, too. Yeah. She comes off as, like, this cold, creepy character, especially with that mask where you don't know what she really looks like. Well, Well, anymore, like, at this point in the future. Right. Yeah. Uh, now, of the three guest hero appearances in the first season, the other two being Aquaman and Metamorpho, this is probably the best one of the three. Don't get me wrong, I like the Aquaman episode. I like love the Metamorpho episode. But this is my favorite guest star ep, as it were. Yeah, I really like this one. Uh, season one was kind of hit or miss. Like Even Bruce Tim and his team admitted, they're like, with season one, it was okay, but... We, with season two, we wanted to just ring that bell and ring it hard and really turn things up. And with this one was definitely one of the better episodes of season one. And yeah, it's I of season one. I think Legends is probably like the best one. Oh yeah, I forgot the JLA retro episode. Yeah, that was a really good episode. And I think on the on the commentaries they actually mentioned that was their favorite of the season one episodes. 
and you yeah. can tell that. Well, I mean, you get to pay tribute to the Silver Age, which is always fun. Yeah, and you can tell that one was like a labor of love. Like they really wanted to make everything. You know, they kind of deconstructed it a little bit, but it was kind of like a love letter to that era. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, of the season one episodes, this is easily one of the best. Again, we see more of Etrigan's backstories fleshed out here. We definitely get a sense of his more of Etrigan's personality than blood, but that's okay. Yeah. But we don't still don't have him speaking in rhyme, but yeah, no big deal. Yeah. And also, we finally get to learn more about him, which I wish we could have gotten the history for him in Batman, but it feels more in line with Justice League than it would have for Batman, where in Batman it's like, oh, now we've got to go all the way back to medieval times. All right, now let's rock it right back to present day in this relatively realistic world. Whereas right. in Justice League, they've had plenty of otherworldly sci-fi sort of situations already. And also, it's very I definitely recommend it, and it's very fun to watch Batman and Etrigan, basically. Who's the better gruff voice, deadpan snarker? That just leads us to the, ne- the comedy episode. Yep. So, as a backstory, the t- first two seasons of Justice League, pretty much every time they did a season of Justice League, they, the team always ended on a high note because they weren't ever sure they were going to get renewed proper. Yeah, well... And this is true of all five seasons. Yeah, well, with, well season two ended on a kind of like a little bit of a depressing note, actually. A bittersweet would yeah, be better. Bitters- well, it's kind of a tearjerker at the very end. Yeah. But, yeah, no, season two, the way they ended it felt like the end of the show, because I think with season one, they knew they were getting, they eventually knew they were getting season two. With season two, mm-hmm. they thought they were done. And then all of a sudden they, they were... They get told, renewed. Yeah, they got renewed. And they're like, all right, you know what? Let's go crazy. Let's bring in everybody. Let's expand out to the entire DC universe as much as we have license to do. And, and so they did. Yep. And they, Moreover, they yeah. also were arguably, except with the exception of maybe Comfort and Joy, in the first two seasons, they kept the plots at least pretty serious. Yeah. Here, in Justice League Unlimited, they purposely set out several episodes that were just going to be straight comedy. Yeah, which Bruce Tim said he wanted to space these out, and they just happened, They ended up airing like almost right after each other. Not that they're a bad thing. Oh, Actually, no. these are some of the more memorable episodes Especially around. Especially where Wonder Woman gets transformed into a pig. This little piggy uh, <laughs> kid stuff, which is the one we're going to review. And what was the other one? Oh, The Greatest Story Never Told with uh, Booster Gold. Right. That was a very funny episode, too. Right. Thank you, Green so, Lantern! <laughs> I'm not Green Lantern! I am Booster Gold! If I were Green Lantern, I would be wearing green, not gold! <laughs> so these comedy episodes will continue all the way through the third season. Yeah, they would, always, uh, they would also, instead of having the hour-long episodes, they went back to just the half-hour ones. With the exception of season finales. Yeah, the outside of they had a couple of multi-parters. Actually, they only had one real multi-parter, which was the uh, uh, Once in Future thing. Whereas in season two and three, they were more like just serialized. They didn't feel like, oh, this is part one, this is part two, this is part three. Well, except for the Cadmus arc. Well, that, that's what I meant. It felt that the Cadmus arc felt like a more serialized sort of thing, where every epi- like every episode led into the next one, kind of like in anime, right? Or like in you know soap opera stuff like that, where they the episode ended and then the next episode is the direct continuation, rather than saying, "Oh, this is part one, 
part two, you know. Right. It was less um, less traditional. Okay, so we'll start with kid stuff when we get back after the next break. Sounds good. That's all he needed. Oh man, that ain't all he needs. Now that is a job for Superman. I'm gonna go punch our way out of here. I'll help. And we are back. So, kid stuff. Uh, this is actually the first time we've seen Morgan Le Fay since uh, the original episode where she shows up. I almost wish we got to see her more. Yeah, she would have been fun. She would have, You know what? There was... Season two of Justice League was really good. There was one kind of stinker episode outside of a couple good gags. The one mm-hmm. with the uh, that purple crystal. I can't remember the name of it, but it was... Try- um, it wasn't very good. Uh, I wish they kind of would have switched that out for Morgan Le Fay episode. Yeah. That was the one where um, Flash was on TV, like, shilling random crap. And, uh, yeah, okay. we get the greatest crap under the radar moment with Wonder Woman, or one of the greatest crap under the radar. Eclipso. That's, yeah. Yeah, where... It's, there's, this is actually, that's actually out of one of the more, no, kind of like, underrate, underrated uh, DC big arcs from the comics mm-hmm. uh they i don't i have never seen it i've always wanted to go back and read it but effectively yeah the whole snake men possessing people thing was a lot of hero essentially in the comics too but it was more subtle suddenly all these heroes were turning bad and no one could figure out why uh yeah just the way the execution of it was just i mean it was a relatively fun episode for moments like i said it has the best crap on the radar moment with wonder woman or one mm-hmm. of them, where uh, she goes, what's wrong with the way I dress? And it gives you this, basically, you see John Stewart, and you see the Flash, you see her standing there, and basically it's like this close-up of her ass, and uh, Flash looks at John and goes, uh, do you want to take this one? And he takes off. Yep. <laughs> and then the alarm goes off, and they're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> right. So, comedy episode. This is the third episode of Justice League Unlimited, and, and it is... Again, an aforementioned comedy episode. Yep. It begins with Morgan Le Fay and her son Mordred look, looking for an, an, a rare, an, a remote mountain temple looking for an immensely powerful artifact, the, quote, amulet of first magic. Notably, Mordred is kind of annoyed, even at the start of this episode. He's, and let's, let's assume he was born around the time Camelot fell originally. Yeah, you can't really blame him for being told after, like, 14 centuries, don't worry, you'll be the king of this world. You'll be the king of this world someday. You'll be the king of this world someday. Yeah. Yeah. You know, 1,400 years later. Even for a regular seven-year-old. Yeah, and he's stuck in that form for his entire life. life. Whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, he's kind of tired of waiting for all this. So Mortard gets the amulet from the trap, and he's basically... This is possibly the source of all earthly sorcery. Yep. And so and she's basically murdered. Uh, okay, give me the amulet. And I'll make you king. And he's just like, nah, I, don't I think I'm going to make myself king. Yep. I hate you. And I decided to banish everyone older than me from the planet, and I'm assuming he means the age that he looks rather than the fact that he's 1,400 years old. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll just... It, so you know there's going to be a lot of corpses in the other dimension. Yeah, so you know what? Let, it's comedy episode. Let, we'll, we can let that go. Right. Elsewhere, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Green Lantern are fighting Cheetah, KG Beast, Copperhead, and Blockbuster. Yep. 
and it's a pretty quick fight. I mean, even though Copperhead yeah. and Cheetah were like big villains at one point in season one of the show of Justice League, but eh, doesn't matter. Comedy episode and no, they beat the crap out of him. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, no, Copperhead he poisons Batman at one point. Right. So they they I'm he, saying here they they quickly Oh yeah, they they got more affected. <laughs> and so and then the magic spell comes in and teleports them all away and we get a very funny moment of Copperhead going this it's the end. We've gone to the bad place. The bad place. And, and she just smacks him. Yep. And then Green Lantern's like we're not dead. We're probably just in another dimension. And he goes, "Oh, is that all?" Well, my favorite part is blockbuster of all the villains <laughs> is in the corner in a fetal position sucking his thumb. <laughs> that was great. KGB's just walking around. He's like, I can't shoot anything here. <laughs> and blockbuster, who's one of the more, you know, dumb raging villains. He's reduced to a pile of, of <laughs> just sucking his thumb in a fetal position. Oh man. Yeah, that was great. Just, all the villain reactions were priceless. So, yeah, the heroes are actually taking this pretty well. Yeah, they're like, oh, so, it's another dimension. This crap again. <laughs> Morgan appears, being, I'm not here to fight, but I need you need your help to stop my son. Please go but kick my the only kid. way to get you back on Earth is to make you kids. Yep. So they show up, and dun dun dun. dun we get a quick little trick uh, trick to the audience, a little swerve where you see their shadows, and then it pans over, and they're all little kids again. And they're like, this is really weird. And then Wonder Woman, who's taller than all of them, just kind of looks down and goes, I kind of like this. <laughs> well, Wonder Woman, I think, is the best part of this episode. Oh, she is. <laughs> the way she just kind of, tra- like, she kind of goes between the most mature of the group to the most, to one of the more immature of the group as well. Like, just she can- well, Also remember, she's a princess in her own right. This is true. So she was raised to be more serious and, you know, she, she, She's at a stage where she was probably being taught, okay, this is what you're going to do when you're queen. So, yeah. but And then Green Lantern, I really like, because he kind of turns into a bit of a goofball. It's a great switchover, because he's, you know, he's ex-Marine military, you know, really, you know, stiff guy. And now he's like, oh, I'm going to make these goofy little glasses. <laughs> yeah, he makes himself a mask that looks like Kyle Rayner's mask. Yep. Essentially. Um, but, uh... So Mordred right. decides to transform a cutesy-looking theme park into death. He basically Bowser's castle doesn't have enough. Yeah. Isn't as imposing as this place. I think the creepiest part of it is the big guillotine with freaking oh, spikes all over it. Where we get a really creepy moment later on, where these kids shove a suit of armor in it and hack its head off with it. Right. Watch him like this is kind of disturbing. Right, so basically their personalities change to this. Batman, he's a bit bratty without as much patience. Yep. Wonder Woman is a bit of a big, big, big bossy big sister with a still obvious crush on Batman. Yep. Superman Superman is a naive form boy. Yep. And Green Lantern's a kid. He's the youngest of the group who, back when you were eight years old and you make up these imaginative scenarios and you think, well, it's everything proof kind of thing. Yeah, and also the fact... Not only is he like an eight-year-old again, but his superpower is he can create anything with his ring. So 
Well, this is coming out of uh, criticism we get from the main series where, especially during the first and last, not so much during the second season of Justice League, Green Lantern didn't, uh, John Stewart didn't exactly use his powers very creative. Well, yeah, though on the commentaries, Bruce Tim brought this up. He said all these people are like, oh, he's not using constructs. And he said, well, one of the reasons for that is the type of ca- is the character that he is, is he's an ex-Marine. You know, he's going to do everything the most efficient way possible. So why create a giant drill when he can just shoot a laser beam? Granted, but yeah. reading the comics as I have for Green Lantern, oh, yeah. even back then, Jon Stewart, his thing was that he creates these super complex constructs. Gotcha. Like – Everything's built from the inside out. He's an architect, so he knows what he's doing yeah. mechanically. Starting with Justice League Unlimited, he started creating more constructs. And again, they even, and also later on in season two, they did it. And Bruce Tim said this was in reaction to that. They're like, okay, we'll do a few. All right, you happy now? Yeah. <laughs> and he he made a few funny little digs, like in uh, season two where the ring gets broken, and he said like, you know, people said like, oh, you can't break the ring. He goes, why not? I don't care. <laughs> and like the other guys on the comic. Terry were like, okay, moving on. Uh, yeah. Like, they got scared. They're like, oh, crap. We're going to get so oh. many angry letters from people. And for the record, Bruce Tim is right. Power rings can break. Yeah. It just takes a lot. Yeah. It might not be as easy as it was in the show, but yeah, he even said, like, people say to me, like, oh, you can't break the power ring. And I'm like, why? And I'm like, well, it's part of the store, like, the comic lore. And he's like, well, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> just the way he said it was great. Right, so Mordred, he assumes his castle, and he starts ruling over this nation of children. And kids being kids, they start coming to him with requests, because a lot of them are like, well, they're hungry, or they want toys, or, you know. <laughs> I love the one where the little girl, she has her baby sister, and she's like, she needs milk, and Mordred creates a cow. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he doesn't create, like, just a bottle of milk or something. He creates an entire cow. <laughs> yeah. So... When the four of them show up, he's just like, really? <laughs> really? My mother sent you? Yeah, it's the Justice Babies. <laughs> and I do love how Batman keeps calling him precious throughout the entire episode. <laughs> yeah. Like, they're even taunting each other like little kids. Right, so even with all their powers, they're not able to get past his guards, and more, much less he's got the amulet of freaking first magic. Yep. So he drops him into the Rancor pit. Yep, and there they fight the most terrifying monster of all time, Baby Etrigan. <laughs> yeah, it, it, literally, Etrigan walks out. He is a, probably, what, no more than a year? He's like two. <laughs> yeah, he's a baby. A toddler at best. And... <laughs> How he uh, got there? When I saw this originally, I just burst out laughing. Oh, man. How he got there, how he got to a new kid, it doesn't matter. It's hilarious. Right. <laughs> so, the, he and, so at first, the boys try to beat him up, and he beats the crap out of all three of them, especially Superman, who's weak to magic, and until Wonder Woman goes, no, bad Etrigan, bad, and then she picks him up and burps him, and she goes, that's all he needed, and then we get... That ain't all he needs. Yeah. And Batman's best, one of Batman's best lines, now that is a job for Superman. All right, and Wonder Woman immediately hands him to Superman. And Superman, with his super smell, he goes, Ew. He's going to hold them out. Like, no. 
<laughs> oh, so the Justice Youths get out and they find all the kids running amok and chopping heads off of suits of armor until Wonder Woman yells at them all. And we get a great moment also with Superman where he goes, you two, cut it out. Well, you're just a kid like us. What can you do? And he shoots his heat fish and goes, I'm the kid with lasers coming out of his eyes. And they predictably panic and run away. Yeah. And so Wonder Woman then yells at everyone. They're like, well, you, you're not our parent. And like, you're not our mom. She's like, no, but we're going to get your parents back. And I'm telling. <laughs> <laughs> and just that alone convinces the kids to knock it off. Yeah, they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Wonder Woman is the highlight of this episode. It's great. Yeah, she really is. Oh, man. And so they go decide to try to sneak up on Mordred, and we get more of Wonder Woman being awesome, where she goes, I guess I'll go with, with Clark, and <laughs> unless I should go with Bruce. Batman is with whatever. He's like, all right, so Bruce and I are good to go. I changed my mind. I want to go with Bruce. Whatever. <laughs> And they walk away, and Superman's just floating there. I don't get it. Man, with someone with, like, 18 different kinds of vision, you are so blind. At this point in the series, Wonder Woman was definitely expressing an interest in Bruce, but he kept, Bruce wasn't exactly sold on the idea. Yeah, he kept pushing her away. And, and actually, one of the other comedy episodes, we get one of some of his reasonings for it, where he goes... Like, you're a princess from a island full of women. I'm a rich kid with issues. Lots of issues. But let's finish the episode after we come back from a break. Sounds good. A bargain is a bargain. Batman and, and Wonder Woman sitting in a tree. K I S S I N G. Okay, who's the eight year old here? <laughs> oh man, it's been a long time since I've done that. No kidding. <laughs> so they try and sneak up on Mordred, who's now asleep, to get the amulet back. He wakes, ends up waking up. And they they go at him again, but he ends up subduing them. To, uh, but they match all the same. They get the amulet away from him and start playing keep away. Yep, and then finally Etrigan gets it and bites it, and it explodes. And Etrigan's left with the best face ever. <laughs> yeah, and he's just kind of twitching. <laughs> They're all standing over him, too, like, uh, is he okay? <laughs> Eh, he'll be fine. Yep, but Mordred reveals that he's already absorbed plenty of the amulet's power, and he's ready to kill them by chopping their heads off. Wonderful. Except they still taunt him. Yep. Like, you know, for all your power, you're still a boy. Yeah, Batman goes like, and they even say, you know, you could have broken the youth spell that was cast on you any time you wanted, and Batman goes, I think you're afraid, precious. And he was like, oh, yeah, I'll show you. I'll show you. Yep, so he transforms himself into adult and is zapped to another dimension. And his mom's like, oh, what did you do? Yep, do you know? Well, she says it like this really creepy manner and goes, do you realize what you've done? So she returns and says, a bargain is a bargain. 
and returns the heroes back to their adult forms. And all the adults show up, and the theme park goes to normal. And... Yay, and it's all happy, and they say, like, oh, it was kind of fun being a kid, and then Batman kills the mood and says, I haven't been a kid since I was eight years old. And Wonder Woman, she just looks at him like, ah, oh, great. Yeah, they're, and they're like, Ugh, leave it to Batman to crap on us. Thanks, Batman. And then the episode ends on a really creepy note with Mordred as an old drooling man and Morgan going, don't worry, I'll take care of you forever, and starts wiping his mouth. And Well, she, out, she already tells the heroes what's going to happen to him, and she's like, well, I cast two spells on him. He's got eternal life and, and had eternal youth. Now he just now that he broke the eternal youth spell, yeah, all, that eight, all 1,400 years is going to catch up to him. Yep, now he just has eternal life. Which apparently sucks. Yep. Then why were all the villains in Dragon Ball Z wishing for it? Yeah, I, I never got that. Yeah. Especially with the whole Vegeta wishing for immortality or Frieza. Okay, you're now immortal. All you've made yourself is Frieza's favorite Punch punching bag. Well, to be fair on that one, Saiyans get stronger every time they come back from almost death. So he yeah, eventually, basically he, he would have been die. beaten up for it until he got strong enough to fight back. <laughs> yeah. But at least the original Piccolo just wished for, and uh, Lord Slug wished for eternal youth. Yeah. At least that much. And then I did, like, in the abridge, I, why didn't I wish for immortality? Yeah. Um, so there's a couple of, actually, there's a couple of interesting actors who played the uh, younger set here. Oh, okay. Uh, first of all, the kid who played young Superman. Shane, uh, Shane, and I'm going to slaughter this name, Habuka, Habuja? No, I don't know. He actually would, re Shane, he actually returned to the uh, DCAU as Captain Marvel's oh, alter ego. yeah, he played Billy Batson. Right. Uh, the other two really haven't done all that other much, but Dakota Fanning plays young Wonder Woman. Okay. I'm and she does a phenomenal job with it. I'm going to... Uh, not actually played. Don't know who that I is, honestly do don't know who that is. I know the name, but I don't know who that is. Well, let me put it this way: uh, she's twenty now, but she's basically her roles have consisted everything from basically she was. Um, I'm going to her Wikipedia. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, I'm at her Wikipedia page. Uh, she was in the uh, Tom Cruise War of the Worlds as the daughter. I didn't see that. Not surprised. Don't bother. Uh, she plays the eponymous character in Coraline. I didn't see that. Do that's actually really good <laughs> and beyond creepy. Uh, I'm looking through all her. Unfortunately, she plays in the Twilight movies. <laughs> she's probably the best actress in that, uh, or best actress. Uh, undoubtedly. Yeah. And she's been on a bunch of little TV shows. Uh, television. Let's see. Uh. I've seen some of the shows that she's been in, but mm -hmm. I don't know if I've seen those episodes or not. Like, I've seen ER, I've seen Spin City, I've seen Malcolm in the Middle, but I don't remember the specific episodes. So, okay, well, needless to say, she's definitely been in a lot of stuff and is an accomplished actor. She's a B-list actor, yeah. yeah. She's not, she's a pretty, she, she does a good job as Wonder Woman, she's awesome in this episode. Yeah, she really is. Yeah. Oh, she's won awards, too, for, like, Best Young Actress and things like that. Yeah. Cool. So, opinions on this episode? Oh. It's fun. Yeah. 
How can you hate it? I mean, yeah, it's just fun from start to finish. It doesn't take itself very seriously, and it's kind of. I mean, yeah, there might be like one or two little plot holes, but it's kind of like when we reviewed um, that episode, the episode of Beast Wars. Um, right. Oh God, I can't remember the name of it. <laughs> go with the plot. You're saying. Yeah, so go with the It's kind of like that, where you can ignore them because, you know what, they just did this for fun, and it succeeds very well. It, and I don't have problems with series doing this, especially for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite episodes of Avatar Last Airbender is The Ember Island Players, which is a whole parody of the entire series. Mm. Yeah, this, so, this trope is... Like, they do this a lot. Like, I remember, uh, Power Rangers did this. Heck, Star Trek The Next Generation did this. Really? Yeah. What up? There was an episode where Picard, Keiko, Guinan, and Roe get turned into kids. Oh, okay. You're thinking of that trope. I was thought you just a comedy. Episode. Oh no, I was thinking of right. the kids trope. The turn to a kids trope. Oh yeah, this definitely happens. Yeah, which quite a Star bit. Trek DS9 did have a episode dedicated to funny, and that was um, Trials and Tribulations. Which is the funniest episode. I, need, I still need to see that. Oh my god, it's hilarious. It, 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 and it's also the, I think it was like the, yeah, it was the 30th anniversary episode of Star Trek that they did. And oh my god, it is so funny. It is so well done. Yeah, and I'm impressed they were able to insert Cisco into they insert all know, the original into series. They put, uh, there's a scene where Kirk is yelling at, like, all the rank and, fo- like, all the gold shirts about how they got, and red shirts, how they got into fight with the Klingons, and they digitally put uh, Dr. Bashir and um, O'Brien into it, too. And so when Kirk, nice. so instead of Kirk talking to one of the actual people there, he goes, do you know who started? And O'Brien goes, I don't know, sir. So they they did a that episode is really good and visually it actually holds up too like you can't really see the seams in it. That's pretty good. Yeah. But anyway, back to this one. It's very funny episode. It's fun to see how each of them kind of changes when they turn into a kid with mm-hmm. Wonder Woman and Green Lantern kind of standing out. And I love the just every single moment with her is great and Etrigan doesn't do a whole lot in this episode, but we get a priceless moment. Oh, at the yeah. Basically, Wonder Woman is holding him as a baby, so they'll get turned into adults. He's still in her arms, and he looks up at her and goes, Mama! And she just drops him on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I definitely recommend this episode. Check it out. Right. Now, I need to do an honorable mention here. This is outside the DCAU, but it's the next major... Essentially, the... One of the next major incarnations of Batman, which is Batman Brave and the Bold, which... Very good show. Oh, yeah. It basically took the Silver Age and made it fun, as well as serious. But Etrigan shows up three times, uh, with with significant roles anyway. Shows up in the episode Day of the Dark Knight, Trials of the Demon, and Shadow of the Bat. Now, all three of these episodes are good. One, they... The first one has Morgan Le Fay... It's before, um, and this is where she's, she and Merlin are fighting over control of, control of Etrigan because, uh, this is before he was bonded to Jason Blood. And you've got Batman and Green Arrow in medieval times. <laughs> so, there's Trials of the Demon, which is a true Jason Blood episode. And, but you have Batman working alongside, uh, Sherlock Holmes. So, that's pretty, I mean, it's cheesy, but it's good. But the third one is probably my favorite, and 
honestly, this for a kid's show, this was pretty scary. Essentially, Batman, he he and Etrigan face down a vampire named Dala, um, but Batman ends up getting bitten. Though he hides it, uh, Batman ends up giving in to vampirism. Ends up feeding on both Black Mask and Alfred. You know, for kids! Yeah. So, he's taken up to the Justice League satellite, and he gathers all the members of... It's kind of a B-League. They don't have, like, Wonder Woman or Flash or Superman in this version of the Justice League on this show. It's kind of... It's all B-heroes, and Martian Manhunter and Aquaman are kind of the top A-list heroes still around. I love the Brave and the Bold version of Aquaman. (laughs) Well, it's John... It's John DiMaggio is awesome in that role. But where this gets scary is that Batman... He essentially locks down the satellite, and he decides to stalk and prey on all the Justice League members there. And since one of Batman's things, continuous Batman traits, is that since he's one of the few humans of the group, he definitely studies everyone else to take, be ready to take them down if he has to. And suddenly he's got, now he's infected with vampirism, he's prepared, he basically starts preying on all their deepest fears. So, and it's left basically left to Martian Manhunter to free the whole league from being turned into vampires. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Luckily, Etrigan comes back in and manages to help Manhunter save the day. But it, it's still, for a kid's show, it's an undeniably creepy to watch Batman, of all people, turn into kind of this classical Dracula version of, vampi- version of vampire and just... Turned outright evil. Tis the season. My only complaint is that how the show portrays fire and ice. <sighs> kind of like Valley Girls, so to speak. Oh. Meanwhile, yeah. Meanwhile, in Justice League Unlimited, we had a um, bit of a Lesier pairing with them. That that dude. That's been <laughs> it's been Lesier since the character turned. Oh, it. okay. I didn't know that. No, no, they've been very close friends since actually, almost the very beginning. That actually does make sense, then. I don't think they would have just created that only for the show. <laughs> they, yeah. they they did a lot of stuff in that show, and I don't think they would have just gone, hey, let's just do this for the heck of it. Well, um, in the comics, Guy Gardner and Ice were all but married at, at uh, points. And you do, well, and, also in the show, you see um, Flash hitting on fire. Well, no, where this, he just... Guy Garner and Fire don't like each other and they butt heads, so it definitely affects the relationship with Ice. Ah, gotcha. So, alright. So, all in all, is Etrigan a good character to put in media? Yes. He's interesting. He's in the one episode of this where he actually got a very big part, which was the Night of Shadows. He was great throughout the whole episode. He was really interesting. He was a nice contrast to the rest of the characters. And... He's fun to have around. I wish he could have popped in a little bit more during Unlimited. Sometimes also with less is more. The sure. fact that they didn't pull Aquaman in every episode made his appearances all the better. This is true. Yeah, they were pretty good. Like, of the new characters that got introduced, Green Arrow is like the only one who kind of became like a regular. Yeah, to so the point that he has his own theme song. Yeah, that he hums, too. Yeah, that was... I mean, only the Joker has only done that before. <laughs> oh, man. I love that part. Da-da-da-da-da-da! <laughs> no, but the Joker humming his own theme song is pretty funny, too. <laughs> <laughs> the 
that and uh, Harley Quinn playing Amazing Grace on the kazoo. <laughs> we need to cover that episode yes, just for do. the fun Especially, of it. Especially, I read online, um, I can't remember if there was commentary on this or not, but it's been stated that they had to do this in like one take and people had to leave the room because they were laughing so hard. Right. So what do you want to do next? Well, since we're near Halloween. We're near Halloween. Why don't we go with a little bit of horror, a little bit of sci-fi, and a lot of comedy? Let the and campy. Ooh. Can't forget campy. Let the bodies hit the floor. We're covering Jason X. Oh, yes. And we'll see you next time. Take care, everyone. I guess I'll go with Clark. Unless I should go with you. Whatever. I'm fine to go with Diana. So Bruce and I are good to go? I changed my mind. I'll go with Bruce, and John can go with Clark. Whatever. What's with them? Man, for somebody with like 50 different kinds of vision, you are so blind. What?